L.A. Aiko here, Trade Talk with a Hedge Fund Insider, Episode 19, Season 3. We are here. Uh, This is a continuation of the prior episode because uh, there are more items that I wanted to speak about. However, I did not want the episode to be very long, but this will be the final part wrapping up uh, credit contractions and um, how I see um, future turmoil in the market. The tremors are already here, and we'll definitely speak about it from the perspective of how a lot of people are saying, well, we're in a bull market. You know, you don't try to predict markets, as I've uh, mentioned before. However, uh, probability is key. Understanding your probability and your indicators are key because it's the big money is made in he who sees uh, little value first. Though you can make money when there is trend, you generally need to have more money to make money when there is a trend. Uh, As 2020 showed you, especially when we were getting the rebound after the government came in to save the economy, uh, everyone was scrambling to try to pick up whatever they could, obviously not knowing how long to hold it or why you're going to hold it or what makes the most sense. But what actually proved to be the most successful over time were not the airlines, it was the tech industry. You see how things work in that way? More so matters what's going on from the macro point of view and how everything affects that. And as time progressed, you you, you came to see that um, what even beat out the the tech market was uh, commodities and the inflation of assets, which I've talked about since 2020. But we're not going to go into that. I don't want to get off on a tangent. We can get we can keep going and going and going. This is Credit Contractions Part Two. Um, if anyone remembers Hot Shots Part Two, if you're about I don't know any anybody who's over like 35 years old, you, you remember Hot Shots Hot, Hot Shots Part Two, which was a uh, um, a parody of um, of top, of top Gun, excuse me. So, but anyway, let's get into the episode here. So I thank you guys for tuning in. Um, and what we're really just talking about is foray into why and how um, the contractions will begin from the housing market. So the credit contractions that we're going to see are beginning from the housing market. We spoke a little bit about it in the other episode, but look at how they're going to start tying into the overall narrative of the Fed and what to expect and what you can even see in the on the overall global market. So part of this I'm not going to take credit for. It's not my complete idea. Part of this was from Morgan Stanley's report. Um, but here's the thing. The Fed is not going to taper, right? And you know that the Fed isn't going to taper because they want unemployment lower and higher prices. Uh, people can't actually meet the gap up in higher prices without wage growth. And wage growth is coming from trying to increase the minimum wage and get people fully employed or at least get that um, that high unemployment rate lower. So if there's no wage growth and there's no unemployment change, there is no Fed taper. So now you would tie this taper into saying that, well, this is why we know that the uh, you know you don't bet against the market. The Fed's going to step in, and that's true. The Fed will step in. This is so. Let me break down to you a little more clearly, though, what they mean by this Fed is setting themselves up for a trap. Have you noticed something about interest rates? In that everyone keeps saying, "Well, houses are going up in price," and et cetera, et cetera. They are, 
and you're going to price people out of the market. So when your housing prices keep going up and your interest rates are staying stagnant because that's what they've been stagnant, they haven't been cut, you're going to run into a problem where people are priced out of that market to be able to afford those houses because you have high unemployment and um, you don't have anything bridging the gap for those payments. Uh, sorry, not those payments, but those uh, those prices. You know, people need to make more money. So you have a, another situation where the Fed starts to say to themselves, well, what else can we do? We don't know what else they can do. We have assumptions of what else they can do. But this is what indicators would be telling me if I'm trying to figure out what they're going to do. The first thing you would have to say is like, all right, well, what's labor demand? Labor demand and unemployment has not actually been that great. You had in on July 10th, uh, 368,000 people unemployed uh, and requesting benefits. Then July 17th, 419. You generally would want it around 200,000 to 250 range. So obviously we're missing that. Uh, you have a situation where you have economic stagnation, um, but the stock market keeps rising. This is where the concept of the bull trap even starts. Economic stagnation, market's still rising, the Fed won't taper, but there's indicators telling you that they won't even have to taper. The market will then dictate what happens, at least the smart money. And you would say, well, the smart money in stocks keeps buying. Yes, but the smart money is not in stocks. The smart money is actually in bonds. We've gone through this many times when I did prior episodes about the bond market and why everyone got um, caught off guard when uh, the 10-year treasury yield kept rising and it became the talk of the town. The smart money is in the bond market. However, the bond market is not moving exponentially like the stock market. There's this interesting relationship as it pertains to uh, rates and what's happening in the bond market. You see, rates at some point have to continue to go down some more. People would say, well, they've cut them as low as they can cut them. They haven't cut them as low as they can cut them. They can cut them some more. The reason why you're going to know that rates have to come down some more is because these prices and housing are going so high and pricing people out of the market that you're going to need to force people to refinance, like I was speaking about in the prior episode. People already refinance now, but they're actually refinancing at higher rates than they were uh, during the pandemic. You're probably going to see another rate cut uh, sometime within the next year, um, pushing these rates down to pretty much zero or 1% and forcing um, people with these homes to refinance and hopefully allowing more people to get into the market. Now, when you have rates go down, rates are going down because they need to find the supply. Um, when rates go down to find a supply, they're trying to create demand. So don't get it confused. If rates are a certain rate and people aren't refining or, or you've seen the slowdown in buying of houses, the only thing that the Fed can do is reduce rates to spur more buying or more refinancing because there's not enough people who want it at that rate. They want it cheaper. Banks are not going to issue it. The government would have to issue it. Banks are no longer interested in lending cheaper and cheaper, for, as you've seen from my prior episodes of cutting personal credit lines and home equity lines of credit. 
Now, when you're seeing that, you're saying, well, again, it doesn't matter. My stock market's going up. But did you start to notice? Most people wouldn't notice this. This is more of a smart money thing. Uh, in the S&P 500, there's more and more prominent companies uh, making new 52-week lows. Now, most people would say, well, I'm, it's not Apple and Facebook and these things. Correct. It's not. But there's other things. It's 500 companies in S&P 500 that are making new 52-week lows. And the more and more of them that make 52-week lows, it's an indication of a bearish correction. You're not going to catch it because it is not going to be triggered immediately just from the stock market. It's being triggered from the interest rates that are tied to the bond market. All right. We are not in Trump's volatility economy anymore where someone can come out with an announcement and you can get some volatility, buy some options and boom, you strike it rich really quick. That's gone. This administration is very slow and it's very reactionary. The Fed and Yellen have Yellen and Powell have things in their control. So you have to they're very reactionary. You have to wait for what they're saying. Yes, they have given guidance, but they are not going to rock the boat in any way. So you got to wait anyway. So you might as well start to pick this, pick this thing apart and pay a lot, a lot of attention. And then in weaker indices, uh, such as the Russell, um, and then you go into uh, the Dow, sorry, not the Dow, the Russell and the NASDAQ, what you will also see is that there's more companies making lower 52-week, um, sorry, making new 52-week lows. There's more of them than there are people making new 52-week highs. Remember, the majority of those indices are running, at least from the general market as a whole, because the tech companies are still running strong and hitting new 52-week highs. That's what's happening there, but they will end up having to follow suit. And why will they follow suit? So this goes back to another a concept that we talked about many, many episodes ago sometime last year about margin and how new investors, especially those who started in 2020, are realizing that the market keeps growing. And if I put in $1, my $1 is now worth $5. This isn't literal. This is an example. And since my $1 is now worth $5, my broker will give me uh, $10 to my, to my $5. So I started with one, it grew to five and the broker will give me 10. But I originally, my, my original cost basis is one. This is called leverage or margin. Another place that you can see rampant, crazy, loose margin is in the crypto space where people will blow up their accounts because they're allowed to take a hundred to one leverage. In some cases, a thousand to one leverage, the same thing that happened in 2008 for those who can understand it. You're in this position where you're able to take a lot of leverage. You have new 52-week uh, lows, new companies hitting 52-week lows, and less companies hitting 52-week highs in the S&P and in the weaker indices. When you come back to your margin balances and your interest rates start to, um, and your interest rates are going to have to get cut and, and pushed down, when interest rates are going down, your bond prices are going up as they work in inverse relation to each other. These bond prices that start to go up starts to tell you that people are looking for some protection. In that particular case, and that's happening, you're then going to start noticing that more people will likely lever up when buying, when um, not buying, but excuse me, buying more stocks because interest rates are cheap. 
The Fed is going to at some point have to taper through this problem, not simply just because, um, uh, you know, it's by force or hook or by crook, but because they're going to stabilize a lot of these uh, programs that they've started. They're going to have to. They're not going to let them keep running. And a good example, if, if you want to know if this is true, we're running into a Delta variant right now. And you would want to see, are they going to shut the government and uh, the states down again because of the Delta variant? I bet you they won't. They're going to try to power through this thing. Um, if they were going to do that, they wouldn't be making really strong pushes for vaccine mandates. And you will see that they'll continue to do pushes for vaccine mandates. As we'll come through that and you'll see that when that tapering starts to happen, you should see the force of interest rates have to start to rise. You will see that those margin balances will instantly start to um, turn into risk off on your broker, meaning that they will liquidate your positions. However, there is one other caveat to it where it doesn't even happen that way, where you would have to wait for the Fed to taper. The other part that happens when you make interest rates suppressed for long periods of time with stagnation uh, from the general economy, this means from employment and other things like that, you will see the stock market itself start to fall. And when that starts to happen, which was another similar case to the 10-year Treasury yields, when that starts to happen, excuse me, uh, you will then also see stock market, uh, stock prices start to fall. A lot of times people are, they're just misinformed in understanding that um, a market with prolonged low interest rates can actually have falling prices. Um, the reason why that happens is that lower rates mean there's less new money being created. You would say, well, the new money happened when you had the loans. Yes, the new money happened from the loans. The, the reason it's new money is not only because it's Fed money that they created by buying old bonds and um, exchanging them for new bonds at a lower interest rate, but also because there is an interest rate. So if I have a dollar and your interest payment is a dollar and a half, uh, the half is the interest, the dollar is the principal, right? So you paid me back everything plus the half, the half is the new money. The lower you get and you get closer to, um, that 1% or zero interest rates, the more you destroy money. And that is the concept where people will say like, well, if you leave the money in your savings account, it makes you nothing. If you go and put it in the market or you put it into something, it makes you something correct because, there is a payment that is coming back to you. But the problem also with that pay, with that concept of that payment, because people will say, well, yeah, I just put it in the stock market. I agree, you could, if you follow what I'm saying in this. The problem with that, though, is that when you put that money in the stock market, which are assets, and you have a stagnant economy where demand is not being reached at the prices that um, the assets have inflated to, they will deflate. Again, this is something from 2008 where you start realizing that there isn't a means to go and get those homes or, or those increased, um, uh, what do you call it, assets with increased values. Risk off happens where people have no, have no ability to afford them or no lending facility to get them, and boom, the whole uh, system starts to uh, recoil in an instant. Hopefully you can visually see that. So 
that's just a, a, a pretty, I'm going to keep that at a pretty basic, simple concept. And I think that it can be followed in, uh, in that general sense. The other part about this whole thing is that it really just focuses around um, three central things. The, the, this, this whole concept of the contractions, uh, the credit contractions. It focuses around labor, mortgage-backed securities, security buys, and interest rates. Labor, you already understand, is, in, is employment. MBS uh, buys is mortgage-backed securities, meaning literally, literally mortgages within the uh, uh, economy and into the secondary markets, uh, mortgages that have already been issued as well as new mortgages, um, and then interest rates and suppressing those interest rates. This credit contraction issue and where the stock market is going as a whole centers around these three points, in my opinion. I'm not saying I'm omnipotent. I'm just saying this is the view that I see and why I'm setting these posi my positions in this way. Where you're, where a lot of people are missing um, the real hook to this whole thing is that we covered the labor, we covered the mortgage-backed securities, and we covered the interest rates, but. People are missing that when you're looking at these uh, these trends in tandem. And what I mean by these trends is that how the new 52-week lows are happening um, for many companies in the S&P 500. You tie it into what is happening with uh, the three-month um, Treasury yield. The three-month Treasury yield is lockstep with interest rates. When interest rates are going down, the three-month treasury yield is also going down. The market tends to follow. This was ha this happened in 2008. Uh, in 2020, we had the same issue. Three-month treasury yield uh, crashes. The market crashes right behind it. Interest rates go and crash following it also. Um, in our particular situation, you have a, a where interest rates are up, the dollar goes down, we run into a situation of tightening. Tightening literally means that the yields, which are treasuries, the yields, and the dollar, you could call the dollar the stock market, or you can call it, you know, just a, a stagnant thing. Um, they are, they need to be divergent of each other, not coming together. And in this particular case where we're seeing a lot of tightening is interest rates are actually creeping up, not creeping up in, so we, we would call them real rates, not where the Fed has raised them, but the real rates to acquire particular things are creeping up slightly due to inflation. And then um, you have the dollar going down, which a lot of people understand you get, you, you get less for your dollar because assets are obviously increasing. Um, so that's tightening. We don't we don't want well the Fed wouldn't want that. You wouldn't want that because tightening makes the economy would make your stock market fall over time. Um, you would want where the dollar is going up and interest rates going down. This is why you can predict that there will be another um, interest rate cut. But the how it happens is the confusing and weird part. Now, so now you would also say, well, the market can stay solve, can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. And I agree, it can. And this is why I've been saying since the prior episode is that 
this is a situation of building a position on the short end. It's not a it's not a thing of saying now it's the time where it's going to happen. But I can tell you, it's not about just saying well it's going to happen because everyone knows it's going to happen. But it's more so to say that it will happen due to a slow reactionary behavior from the Fed and from the administration. You know that they don't want the rates to rise, but that does not mean that you will just have a bull market. You will have a correction. And some people will say, well, it's just a correction. It's not a big deal. This correction where we're speaking about what three-month um, three yields are doing in relation to the dollar can turn into a big deal. That correction and that spike, because it will catch people over-levered, which we all know that they're over-levered, will be a big deal. This is why creating that position, switching the portfolio into a 40, uh, 60, or, or 30, 70, but I like uh, 40 on the short, 60 on the long, better, is a great idea because as it has been a consistent notion of mine, when contrarian, it is so cheap to be contrarian at a particular time, but if you have a true thesis and you can think it all the way through, you can maintain that short, no different than Bitcoin. Another part that a lot of people kind of, um, kind of miss is that a lot of hedge funds will short the bond market um, as real rates start to try to go up and stocks start to fall. Um, I don't think that this particular case will happen because I think that the rates will just stay down for so long that um, the stock market will follow. Some people who are not in who are not understanding of this, again, I have to repeat it, you can have a situation where rates our rates are low for so long that the market will fall with it due to a lot of stagnation and especially within um, having labor issues that the market will fall with it. It's going to catch people off guard and that off guard happened when you saw the 10-year treasury have an issue. Where you can track this is with the three-year treasury and um, the three-year treasury and uh, and the dollar. That's what I'm doing to track this particular hypothesis that I'm making. And I feel that that's what's going to transpire. So in a nutshell, to, I, I can't even say in a nutshell, you'd have to listen to this episode twice because it's not a nutshell. It's, 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 a, it's a tie up of three of the Fed being centered around labor markets, mortgage-backed security buys, and interest rates, over-leverage um, with uh, securities and stocks, so over-margin, over and the fact that we have um, new 52-week lows from companies within the, the S&P 500 and in the weaker indices are doing uh, poorly also. You tie all of those things in to the fact that rates are going to be suppressed for a long period of time with the market following behind it, not just because of the direct relationship, because the direct relationships don't necessarily work that way, but because of all the ancillary factors that are key factors into how things work. Um, then historical data of 08 and 2020, and there you have it.
60-40 on the portfolio split, 40 on the short side, 60 on the long side. Uh, build up the position. This is uh, part two of the credit credit contractions episode. Um, I hope that you take the time to really listen to it. I don't think a lot of people are going to catch it. Um, I actually, I know a lot of people are going to miss it because, well, it, it, it's not in your face. It's not something that you can immediately turn around and make money on. Uh, but I can assure you this, if you do understand how to make money on this and you do understand how to read the macro, the macroeconomics of our markets a bit better, um, this is how you make big money. So uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Another episode of Trade Talk. I'm excited for the new week, excited to try to get um, more things in play. Take care.